So, hello. <laughs> um, hello, um, dear listener. Um, welcome to another episode. Uh, maybe this is your first episode. I don't know. Um, welcome, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are. Um, it, this episode is going to be me reading out a short story that I wrote myself. Um, I started writing it in March and uh, yeah, and now it's, it's finished. Um, these things, when you, when you write them, it's best if you let them kind of settle with you for, for a bit um, before you, certainly before you go public with it <clears throat> excuse me but uh yeah so this has settled with me for a while now and um yeah i i uh yeah i i'm good to release it um i actually don't have a title right now as i'm recording this but mm, yeah maybe i have some in mind but i haven't decided on when one yet but uh by the time i upload this podcast this episode I I will have probably chosen a title. <clears throat> so um yeah, I I'll just I'll just get on with it. Um Yeah, I'll just go with it. So here we go. First line and then I'm going to continue it. Um it was winter outside and inside his rented apartment. That's what happens when you can't close the windows because there is a bad plasticky smell emanating from the cheap linoleum flooring in every room except the tiny shower room. That floor was tiled, but the tiles had been painted for some reason with dark grey wall paint, not floor paint. There's a difference. One week after moving into the apartment, some areas of the painted floor started bubbling up due to water that escaped the shower curtain's guard. They soon burst, revealing dull cream tiles beneath the colour of old bone. He had received money back from his gas and electricity provider at the start of 2023, probably the only person in all of Belgium that that happened to, given the steep rise in energy prices since last year. There was no point in turning on the radiators if you have to leave the windows open 24-7, so extra layers of clothing it was for him, and he slept with a hat on during winter. He had told the landlord and renting agency about the smell the second day in the apartment, so a visit by the landlord and agency representative was arranged. During their visit, he made the mistake of leaving all the windows open, and so the smell was dissipated greatly by the constant flow of fresh air from the windows, so therefore he was not believed. He was told if he wanted to move out, he would lose his three months deposit and also be charged a fine of another full month's rent on top of that. Months later, having passed his first winter there, he contacted a specialist from the housing department of the state himself. They installed air sampling devices in each room and left them there for one week. In the end, the particular gas emitted from that type of flooring in a process called off-gassing that was being investigated was found to be present in the air, but, unfortunately, the amount of it 
was just below the legal limit for the state to require the landlord to make an intervention into the issue. The lady said that some people are just more sensitive to it than others and perhaps that is why he felt affected by it when he closed the windows. Luckily, all the windows, except the one in his bedroom, had a double way of opening, either fully like a door or by tilting it slightly back open from the top. This second option greatly facilitated this unfortunate need to leave the windows open all the time. The winter months were hard, but the rest of the year was mostly fine with the windows open 24-7. The uncertainty of the COVID lockdowns had impeded him from moving out after the first contract of one year was served. This was his third winter there, but he had resolved that it would be his last. This was the second apartment in Antwerp that he rented in that price range that had a bad odour issue. Both times the smell was only discovered during the first night of sleeping there. In the previous apartment, he likewise notified the agency about the odour issue on his second day there. At first, he thought it was coming from the piping in the sink, so he blocked it off with some insulation tape for a night after leaving the windows open for hours, but to no avail. The smell still came back after closing them. He contacted the landlord almost daily in their co-investigation to find the source of the smell. During one of the landlord's visits, she had mentioned a specialist that she may contact if they could not discover the problem themselves. Was it drainage piping? Was it mice? Was it mould somewhere? Was it something dead under the floorboards? But all investigations and possible countermeasures proved fruitless. There was still something wrong there. He grew more and more convinced, however, that it was mould. It had that tickly mould spore effect on his throat and lungs, and it just smelled like it too. There was a faint, furry texture to the air. When he was all out of possible leads on the source of the problem, he contacted the housing department for his district and got in touch with a man who dealt with these kind of complaints. <clears throat> it turned out that the man had actually been called to that very apartment a few years before for a terrible mould problem in the apartment. He knew it smelled like mould. The housing man had sent him some of the photos he had taken when he when he was called to the apartment. The walls were black with it from the floorboards to halfway up the ceiling. Anticlimactically, however, the man from the housing department said that after his inspection, the landlord had done everything necessary to sort out the situation. And upon a second visit a few weeks later, the housing man deemed the apartment acceptable again. Seeing as mould was not now visible anywhere again, he said that there was nothing he could do this time. He was completely convinced it was mould now though. It must have come back again. It is beneath the floorboards perhaps, he thought. The floorboards, which had quite a few gaps between them in places and which were stained black in certain areas too. Perhaps a sign of mould rotting them, he thought. He told the landlord about his discovery that the apartment previously had a mould problem. She retorted that it had been deemed acceptable again by the housing guy after her effort to repair it. He pleaded to send someone to look under the floorboards all the same. The day the Romanian workers arrived to take up some floorboards to have a look, he had left his then-girlfriend in the apartment with the workers as he had to go to work that afternoon himself. 
As he was leaving, on the staircase, he met the head of the working party, whom he had met on another occasion in the apartment, when they had come to seal off a cracked space beneath the sink unit to stop mice from possibly entering, as there had been a lot of mice droppings discovered under the sink cabinet when a panel covering was removed for inspection. The head of the group told him that he had been given toilet air fresheners by the landlord to place under the floorboards obviously in an attempt to mask the problem. He was outraged, but he had to go to work, so he left. The landlord reported via email to him later that evening that no mould was seen by the workers, apparently. That night, after work, he emailed the landlord again and told her he was aware of her strategy to mask the problem and that he found this to be a completely unacceptable attempt to solve the problem. So he asked the landlord, could he, could he please have his deposit back and to be allowed move out of the problem? Because two months had passed already with no discovery or solution for the situation. The mystery still remained unarticulated. By the start of his third month there, he could no longer even sleep in the apartment. He began paying for one of the only hostels that was still open during that COVID period, which worked out at basically the same price per month as his apartment. Things were getting very tense with the landlord now because there had been no solution. So he didn't pay his third month of rent, seeing as he could not even stay there. The law, however, he found out from a housing organization that helps tenants in these situations with legal advice, stated that under no circumstances could a tenant not pay their rent. Finally, by his second week in the hostel, the specialist that the landlord had mentioned weeks ago was brought in to investigate the problem. The legal stance on detecting issues based on one's sense of smell the housing organization had informed him, is very subjective. Too subjective, in fact, because, he assumed, like smell, not everyone has 20-20 vision. Though, in general, we are not even aware of such a gauge or scale for judging the efficacy of the olfactory sense, even though it can be just as life-saving as that of sight, sound, taste or touch. He imagined a campaign to bring attention to the issue. 2020 smission for all would be the main slogan, perhaps. Smellists and smellisms would abound. I smell, therefore I am. Neuroscientists came out of the woodwork onto popular platforms preaching the secret life of the nose, how it can identify if a partner is attractive to us or not, how hormones given off and inhaled by a couple who have a newborn baby affect the couple without them even knowing it, how detecting repellent odours can save our lives. But before his campaign, he had first to resolve his situation. One person's claim, therefore, or level of ability to perceive an odour with their 20-20 sense of smell is not proof enough. For an odour problem to be unanimously acknowledged by a jury of randomly selected noses, the odour would have to be blatantly very strong and evident, whereby even someone with the most calloused of nerves could not help but wince their face in the presence of the odour. The day the odour specialist arrived to the apartment with the landlord, he said, It can be very hard to agree on a smell being present, but it is possible to see if there is a leak in a pipe using a smoke machine.
He attached the smoke machine to pipes in the basement that ran up through his apartment, which was on the second floor. He then opened a kind of small industrial looking suitcase, two by two feet square, and drew from it what looked like a bulky folded red flag made from a thick nylon. This sheriff of Smellsville stood about five paces from the bathroom door where the pipes under inspection were located. He then, unexpectedly but gracefully, lobbed the item from his hands in a backward somersault motion into the air above his head towards the door, but with only enough force so that, rightly, it should have landed about five feet in front of him and fallen short of the door, but, instead, as it rose towards the apex of its arc through the air, it began to unfold as it somersaulted, and a fraction of a second later, when it had reached the apex of its trajectory, it shot forward towards the open doorframe with a magnetic-like attraction, fully unfolding rapidly and installed itself perfectly within the parameters of the doorframe, like a kind of quarantine seal in place of the door. It was now plain to see that there was a circular ventilator in the middle of this sheet, the idea being to suck air out of the bathroom in order to see if any smoke would be drawn from a leak in the pipes into the next room where the ventilator pulled the air to. The ventilator was then switched on and they waited for the unanimous verdict. A little imaginative substitute back there for what otherwise would have been a mundane piece of exposition, which means plain but otherwise necessary sentences within a piece of prose. In terms of a fancy electric bike, for example, exposition would be the plain spokes of the wheel, let's say, unadorned but necessary. However, spokes can be well made and cared for all the same. Aesthetics and utility can be merged. Unlike which had happened in the design of this industrial door plaster, which was now installed on his bathroom door. Only about one minute had passed and the room joined to the bathroom was now full of smoke. Justice was served. A sewage leak had been discovered. The leak was fixable with not too much trouble involved, the specialist informed them, but seeing as he suspected there was also a mould problem which may be harder, if not even impossible, to prove until such a time as it is visible on the walls perhaps, he asked if he may leave with his deposit all the same. The whole situation had been too much and he didn't want to stay there anymore. The landlord agreed to let him leave and with his deposit, but upon the agreement that they could subtract and keep the month's rent that he did not pay from his deposit, he agreed. Seeing as he therefore had paid double rent for that month between the apartment and the hostel, he was now urgently on a mission to find another apartment as he was living in a hostel while trying to pack up all his belongings in order to leave the apartment whilst trying to keep a full-time job in logistics which required a two-hour commute each day by electric bike. Within a week of the specialist's intervention, he had viewed four apartments in the same price range. One smelled like varnish, even though the landlord said it had not been painted for years. Definitely a no. Another had mould visible on the walls. Out of the question. The third had another strange smell in it with, with no obvious explanation. So that was not an option either. The fourth apartment he saw was the one he currently lived in. 
Upon entering for the viewing, he could smell the plasticky floor. It reminded him of the house his grandparents had moved into later in life. He didn't foresee, however, that this smell would be omnipresent if he moved in and that it would actually begin to affect his lungs also, making them feel heavy the next day if he slept with the windows closed the night before. He thought it smelled kind of like his grandparents' last house, but that was it. They had possibly not had a problem with the floor, as they lived there for years, so he assumed he would not either. Having then another ongoing odour battle in the current apartment, which unfortunately this time he had lost because he did not match the average person's sensitivity to the gas under, under investigation, he seriously considered contacting the housing department of the state again to propose that a new law should be passed, the One Night Trial Act, if after your first night in the apartment you find some problem that considerably affects your ability to live there safely or comfortably and which is unsolvable in a reasonable amount of time by the landlord, then the tenant should be given back all of their deposit and first month's rent and be allowed to leave without any penalty. On the contrary, the landlord should be penalised, just as the tenant would be, and have to pay a compensation fine for all the effort that the tenant had to go through in bringing all of their furniture into the apartment. In his case, in his case the apartment was on the second floor, and so an, an expensive furniture lift had to be rented. And of course, each time furniture is transported with a van, damages happen too. There is only so many times furniture can be assembled and disassembled before it starts to weaken and break. Such drama. But he had accepted the situation since mid-2021, when the lady from the state said that there is nothing they can do. Life went on all the same, and he was keen to get on with it too, regardless of the discomfort and inconvenience. In his living room, he counted out the amount of his new business cards he was going to take with him today. 20 should be fine. He would walk down the main shopping street, Mare, and approach anyone who he thought looked approachable or like they might possibly be interested in his new podcast series. This was the first time he was trying out this method of advertising his podcast. He had been he had been sharing it on Facebook in page groups that were connected in some way to the content of his podcast, ancient Greek and Roman history, literature, art and poetry. It got some likes. The podcast analytics showed that there were now some listeners in Australia, the UK, France, Spain, America, Canada, but mostly Belgium so far. He had deleted his original Facebook account back in 2011. The account he used now, he rarely used at all, and so it only had a handful of acquaintances. It was a cold, stormy, early, mad March day of sleet and powerful winds that knocked over things that average wind wouldn't bother in the slightest. People staggered against the raging air at 45 degree angles. It had become a force like a massive moving body of water. Those going in the other direction hopped, skipped and flew down the street with coats outstretched to better catch a sail. A most amusing sight, futuristic in its evocations. No longer a pedestrian street, but a glider street. Soon those electric scooters will be outdated, replaced by drone-type hoverboards perhaps. On the first pass of the shopping street, he hadn't spotted any likely candidates. Maybe he was being too picky. More than likely, he was still just being too shy. What will I say to them, he thought. Hey guys, I am just trying to advertise my new podcast. Could I leave a card with you? Thanks. Have a nice day. 
But what if they ask me what is it about? How do I summarize it? It's about books. Hmm. I'm sure it will come to me when I'm in the moment. He, he continued out of the shopping street and made his way to the central station directly ahead in the distance. There would be lots of people on that route too. Lots of students were heading to the train station returning home for the weekend. It was Friday afternoon. Restaurant cam- canopies wrapped and fastened around their supporting poles had blown over onto the tables and chairs on the terraces of the Kaiserle. Temporary road and bus signs had swung their load axe-like to the concrete ground. The city was out for vengeance. At the station, he turned around and restarted the route like a swimmer doing laps. The weather calmed intermittently. He got some eye contacts, but he still wasn't feeling it, still uncomfortable with approaching people about it. Promotion was not something he had ever had to do before. He thought that online was probably the best way to spread it, but actually meeting people and giving them a physical card was interesting to him also, just because if they did then listen to the podcast and maybe even go so far as to follow his Instagram page, he would recall who that person was, even if they had only briefly met. It would be nice to know even just a small percentage of who would actually be interested in his audios. Who are they? Where are they at? And why might they like it? The wind reared up again in all its glory. Back on the shopping street, a huge, long, white sheet of scaffold covering about the length of a bus had peeled off from the face of a high building under construction and was now mauling pedestrians on the street below, trawling for consumers, it seemed. It made quite the catch. Pedestrians fleeing helter-skelter in disarray from a great white ghost of consumerism. Flowing down the thriving street through the joyous throngs of post-COVID lockdown, anonymous humans, many languages, whoops, flowing down the thriving street through the joyous throngs of post-COVID lockdown, anonymous humans, many languages could be heard. French, Flemish, English as a second language, and Arabic among many others, in young and old groups and singles, cyclists, scooters and pigeons weaving their way around the people. A face and eyes honed in on him. It was one of those fundraiser guys who was approaching. Sorry, man. No, I can't at the moment. Okay, do you speak Netherlands? No. Who are you, who are you raising fundraising for? It's for a media company. Ah, okay. They are trying to get people interested in reading newspapers online. People don't read too much newspapers online now because you have to pay for them. And if people don't take in other opinions, then they can have a bit of tunnel vision, you know? So it's important to read the news. And so we are giving discounts out for these newspapers online. Ah, okay. Yeah, about the tunnel vision. It's like the circular feedback loop of search engines, of search engines engine algorithms online yeah also people see newspapers as kind of an old thing now but just because something seems to be old that doesn't mean that it is a, it's a bad thing you know yeah totally and you know it's interesting that you should say that because i recently launched my own podcast and i speak about books in it and it's kind of like how you said that people see newspapers as old and so therefore redundant almost i think some people have a similar jaded view of books too especially any book that is older than about 10 years 
Yeah, okay, I see. You are doing something similar. Yeah, anyway, man, I better let you try talk to someone who speaks Netherlands because I'm not much use of your time. He gave him one of his leisure, not business, cards and they fist bumped and said all the best. It was the first card he had given to someone directly. For the last week since he received his little package of 250 leisure cards that he designed himself and had printed cheaply by an online company in Portugal, he had just been looking for places where people leave flyers for different events and had been leaving the cards there, in bars and cafes mostly. He wondered about the type of work that the fundraiser guy who he had met does. One of his colleagues on the street close by as they were talking had spoken to him a few months ago too about a different organization completely. That was a medical intervention fundraising project. These guys were probably briefed by someone from the paying company about how to talk about the current project. In this case, that of trying to get people to read online newspapers for a, for a small fee. Newspapers seem old to people now as a medium. This had resonated with him. It had possibly been the result of focus group research into the problem by the company. As he walked on, he realized this was a perfect way for him to speak about his podcast to people if they asked what it was about. <laughs> old books might just seem old and boring, but I want to show you that this is completely untrue. Something along those lines, he thought. On one side of his card, he had his Instagram QR code for linking to the podcast's page. Above the code, it read, Rebirthing Literature Through the Popular Oral Medium of Podcasting. And below the QR code, Let's Have Ourselves a Renaissance. But this possible focus group finding was very useful too. <laughs> he felt more confident now to approach any approachable person with this phrase up his sleeve if he should need it. It was still very windy and raining on and off. By this time, he had arrived at the train station twice. He was cold, but mostly just needed to lose the waste liquid now. He had no coins, though, for somewhere like McDonald's. Since leaving his apartment, he had been walking about an hour or so. He had spoken to one person and given one card out. And that one person had given him some very relevant thoughts. It was a success. One was a good start. Quality over quantity. He made his way to a bookshop for a quick browse. In the, in the second-hand section, he came across a lot of English short story and essay collections. He chose four books, 19 euro, affordable. His phone vibrated in his pocket. He received a video message from his friend. A big flower pot with a plant in it flew from a third-story balcony on her street, narrowly missing a stunned cyclist. The cyclist, thankful she had taken a second look in the mirror before she left her house, it had possibly made all the difference. The heavy, earth-laden ceramic pot and human-sized plant had crashed to the ground a mere one foot ahead of her. He next went to a bar to use the facilities and have a glass of cider to warm himself up. As he sat at the window of the bar looking onto the pedestrian street, he reflected on the short story he had read that morning in Starbucks in a literary journal from the UK by a German woman. He admired its contemporary poignancy, the dangers of online health research, people getting things completely wrong and yet acting in accordance with their error to a vehement degree with others, even loved ones. In the story, 
a couple in their late 20s from Switzerland, but who had first met each other three months prior while living in Cologne, where they currently lived, had a few bad arguments because the guy would not stop contributing possible causes based on little evidence for his girlfriend's new heart palpitation issue. She had been taking Xanax due to her anxiety for a year and had recently stopped it as she had begun seeing a psychologist. She didn't experience any withdrawal side effects at first from stopping the medication, but then, a week later, she began to experience a strange sensation in her heart, a kind of faintness, like it wasn't beating fully. A cardiograph with her doctor revealed that her heart was beating perfectly fine, but a strange, worrisome sensation lingered there daily all the same. This turns out to be a very common side effect of Xanax withdrawal, and the doctor assured her it would wear off in time. But in the story, the boyfriend continued to propose other causes for his girlfriend's new health issue. He was getting more and more interested in the keto diet and had become militant about it with his girlfriend. Every opportunity he had, he would slip in some anti-sugar propaganda into the discussion. After weeks of tolerating subtle and often not so subtle propaganda, one night while they were brushing their teeth in the bathroom of her rented apartment, he was espousing on the link between sugar and flatulence. She couldn't tolerate the onslaught anymore and sternly shut down the lecture with an unprecedented stop it. I've been consuming sugar all my life and I am fine. I have tested my blood for diabetes because of you and the doctor said that my levels are perfect. I am not at risk at all. One Sunday, they had a huge falling out because he was trying to convince her that her new heart issue was probably sugar related. She insisted she had never had the heart issue before she quit the Xanax. It had begun one week after she had stopped taking the Xanax. For her, it was clearly called, it was clearly the cause of the problem and not the sugar. He got angry and stopped talking with her when she had to tell him it was not caused by sugar for the second time in just a few minutes during their walk through the streets of Cologne. He had walked away from her on the street without so much as a see you later. They didn't talk for two days. Then other urges reunited them. Oops, where am I gone? Then other urges reunited them after the argument had cooled off. Another two days later, however, after their reconciliation, she was worrying about her heart again, and this time he said there must be a problem with the lining of her stomach that was inhibiting the proper absorption of minerals such as magnesium, potassium and calcium. A deficiency in these minerals can also cause heart palpitations, he said. Again, she protested that she took supplements on a daily basis containing many vitamins and minerals, including those specific minerals, and wondered why did he assume that there was a problem with the lining of her stomach when she ate and drank foods, many foods that improve gut health, such as probiotic drinks, yogurt, sauerkraut and kombucha tea. They again had another major falling out when he refused to answer as to why he assumed she had a problem with the lining of her stomach. A few days before, she had seen a meme online that had a photo of a smug-looking guy with a caption that ran as follows, I knew I was wrong 20 minutes ago, I'm just trying to make you mad now. 
This crossed her mind, but his vehement avoidance of the explanation of his assumption about the lining of her stomach made the meme seem pathetic. Who could really be so stubborn as to deny reason its fair due by not responding to a simple question? The author's narrator, who coincidentally was a fictional character herself and therefore not the direct voice of the German lady who wrote the story, had said that this boyfriend was not the kind of person who would enjoy annoying anyone, nor was his girlfriend. But is anyone, really? This meme could just be a case of fictitious humour influencing reality, an imposter simulacrum. The meme said it, so maybe some people do this. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to annoy you just because it's what people do now, apparently. Haven't you seen the meme? The dangers of assuming things to be true without question. As a wise man once said, assume really means ask you me. Very Finneganese that. But back to the meta story, this latest reiteration of the problem of his unfounded diagnosis for his girlfriend had caused another two days of separation. That night he had told her he needed some time and space for himself. He decided he was going to go back to the psychologist that he gave up on a few months ago. This time he would be more honest with himself and the therapist. Maybe things would change in the relationship then. She thought that when you feel like you need to have a witness around you in the relationship at all times to support and appeal to reason, then there is no point in the relationship anymore because the person cannot be trusted to be reasonable themselves. Then it was time to let it go. On Tuesday, two days later of bitter bickering back and forth through messages, it was finally revealed that his refusal to explain his theory was apparently based on a misinterpretation of the day she finally shut down his propaganda. That Sunday on the street, he didn't want to explain why he assumed that there was a problem with her stomach lining because the night in her bathroom, when she raised her voice saying stop it in protest, he thought he had embarrassed her because of some gas she had around that time. So on the street, he didn't want to potentially embarrass her again, so he refused to answer. She exclaimed that she wasn't in the slightest embarrassed about having a bit of infrequent flatulence. She didn't care about that. She couldn't take his keto militancy anymore. And that's why she said stop it. Flatulence, according to the internet, can also be caused by a problem with the stomach lining, he said. There was no end to his troublesome meddling with her health concern. In the end, she blocked him everywhere and finally had peace in her life again. But two days later, she unblocked him, and then they resumed their bumpy ride towards understanding each other. Reflecting on this story, he felt stimulated by the short story medium and began to recall his own day and how a walk through a busy city is literally buzzing with innumerable topics and stimulating thoughts in one direction or another. Every day is story-worthy if interest is in the eye of the beholder. He started noting down ideas. He had studied painting in college, then focused for years after graduating on writing poetry and reading literature of all kinds, history, philosophy, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, etc. He had most recently launched, just launched his new podcast project. Now he was thinking about writing straight prose fiction again for the first time in about a decade. 
He had experimented before, but found that poetry was more suited to him for that period than prose was. From his teenage years, he had written poetry, and unbeknownst to himself, in the lyrical form, he later learnt what that meant, which is poetry about one's own direct experience or self. A little over a decade ago, when at the start of his 20s, he felt he had discovered a new path in life, a more self-determining path, he decided to document and develop that journey through his poetry. Writing was a better medium than visual art was for that immediate purpose of self-discovery because language is the medium of self-knowledge and lyrical poetry is a medium of self. His creative life had started out with images, just like the creative life of humans had with cave paintings. Then he progressed onto the art of words in the form of his lyrical poetry. Like humans' early oral cultures, he sung there for a few years until the epic form sprouted within his poems, the epic form being a work of art that is as concerned with the artist's self as it is with the imagined audience. Eventually, his first-person singular transcended from the page that I had matured into a parent itself, giving birth to poems on subjects that were not only about his immediate self anymore. This was the dramatic form. He felt that each line of a poem should not have too many possible interpretations or veer tangentially too much from the main drive of the poem. Otherwise, they may accumulate to completely distort the overall meaning of the poem. It would be like a pathway through a forest that has too many overgrown, uncared-for paths leading away from the main trail. You would probably lose yourself in the forest and never want to go back there again. That's why his own poetry was rather to the point. Poetry did not just mean rhyme to him. Poetry, or poesy, was the creative play of words, images, sounds, connotations, and ideas within a poem. It was these instances of poesy that contributed mainly to the, con to the construction of a poem. Prose could contain poesy too, so could any medium if used artistically, painting, sculpture, film, photography, etc. Poesy is the soul of any medium of art. A real painter could be just as much of a poet as a real poet could be just as much of a sculptor. It's a mentality that's applied to an understanding of the limits and possibilities of different mediums. Being an artist is a vocation. The medium of choice may just be down to life influences. Cross-pollination could breed interesting results. He would become like a screenwriter auditioning words for their part in the story, or a musical conductor orchestrating atmospheric weather like harp. I mean, God. The medium of writing, unlike that of an unrehearsed podcast, for example, is all about composition. Composition here meaning designing the text through writing and rewriting editing until a more satisfactory, intentional product is achieved. It implies time spent experimenting with and developing the text prior to its definitive execution. Literature is the storehouse of the best thinking by the best minds of humanity. As Ezra Pound put it, the writing and reading of it is a training ground for precise articulation. It is an aspirational endeavor, 
excellence to be emulated and improved upon. If we neglect these storehouses, then we rely solely on living oral memory, and that may not always be so reliable. <clears throat> the more we neglect our literary heritage, the more we are in danger of lowering our level of articulacy and thus of lowering our ability to understand our own feelings and situations. Ultimately, our ability for problem-solving itself is affected. By reading books, especially older books from a hundred years ago or more, from the pre-moving image world, we are reunited with words that we may not encounter too often in our daily lives now. Among other things from reading, we may discover sensitivities that have been blunted in us by the moving image, which shows all but doesn't foster directly, like good prose can, our ability to articulate ourselves. For example, in the case of a Henry James story, we are shown the wealth of his ability to perceive and then describe the interplay of thoughts and feelings between humans. What a refined sensitivity to the human heart and mind he displays. What courtesy and consideration. And what are the effects of these exceptional articulations? But a deepening of one's humanity for oneself and others for the life of our inner world. While the thought of settling down somewhere to be absorbed into the world of a work of literature, be it poetry, fiction or non-fiction, for an hour or so, can at times, to a person unaccustomed to it, seem like an exile from life. This literary voyage, however, on the contrary, provides experience also, and often concentrated experience. Our literary voyages send us back to the world with greater awareness or understanding. We are changed. We have grown some more. We have developed in one way or another, depending on the nature of the literary work. And as one becomes more acquainted with these travels, one tends to seek them out more. The enjoyment our protagonist had found in that morning's short story had excited his, his imagination to such a point that he felt he wanted to give it a go himself. <clears throat> so it was established. He would now attempt to add the short story medium to his artistic arsenal also. He loved the Renaissance and so saw no reason not to try any medium he liked. Perhaps one day he would even design a building. <laughs> an architecture that acknowledged outer space, galaxies and the possibility of other alien life forms. A kind of humanism 2.0, a 21st century Chartres, Chartres, which was actually a school dedicated to Plato's book on the nature of reality titled Timaeus. He finished his drink, then excitedly packed his notebook and pencil back into his backpack and left the bar for his apartment. By now, the storm had passed, and the walk home through the glistening, rain-drenched streets under a streetlight was filled with ideas flaring up and morphing in his mind for his first short story. He was elated with the prospect of a new creative project that had opened up before him. Now, short stories were in the mix for him too. Last year, he had waited a standard five months for a response from a submission to a literary journal to try get one of his poems published. It would have been his first published poem, but 
After waiting over five months, he contacted the journal to see if there was a problem. A day later, he received a response that his poem was not accepted. Disappointed, but not devastated, he then submitted the same poem to another journal and waited for another four months for the verdict. Another decline. It took Joyce something like nine years to find a publisher for his first book, Dubliners. Two attempts to get published that consumed nine months already seemed like too much. Too much. It just seemed ludicrous to wait so long again on the opinion and taste of just one person who may or may not like that particular poem for whatever reasons. So, as another creative outlet, while waiting for the second verdict on his poem, he had begun his podcast project. Podcasting is a form of self-publishing and free self-publishing too. So, in a less dramatic and not really bitter act at all, unlike Gustave Courbet, who erected his own exhibition pavilion in defiance outside of the exhibition by the French Academy that had rejected his works, he decided to circumnavigate traditional publishing gates and enjoy the medium of free self-published podcasts, where there is a will Anne Hathaway. He was sure he will meet a kind Sylvia Beach one day. Ladies and gentlemen, it is at this point where I, the narrator, must hand you over to my colleague and co-collaborator in this podcasting venture. He is the one who takes care of the business end of things. I myself have never cared for that sort of thing. It is almost against my nature. But he says that without him, without accepting the material without accepting the realities involved in the material world, without doing the necessary promotion and thinking of financial realities, an artist simply will have no chance of making a viable living for himself. He says he likes art, but doesn't really try creative things himself yet. His background is in economics. So, without further ado, I pass you to my colleague, Mr. Negotium. Thank you, Mr. Narrator. So I hope you all enjoyed that story as much as I did. As my uh, colleague mentioned, I am here to help grow my partner's business. Sorry, I mean a creative podcast project uh, into a sustainable means of income for our company. We have discussed at great lengths the possibilities for the longevity of the startup company and foresee that a monthly or even bi-monthly new episode release may be feasible, if all goes well for the CEO of the endeavor, of course. There will be an update on the episode release scheduling scheduling uh, whenever we have one to give. Uh, seeing as it is so early in the venture, it may take some more time to work things out. But now, before I go any further, I would like to introduce you to our other colleague, Mr. Herodotus, for a short talk on the history of art patronage, on art patronage through art throughout the ages. <laughs> Hi guys, uh, I won't take up too much of your time, just a minute or two really, I wouldn't want to bore you. Um, I would just like to point out that nearly every great work of art, literature, music or architecture up until recent times was only possible through the direct patronage of an artist by a wealthy person. From Giotto to Da Vinci, Mozart to Debussy, Balzac to James Joyce. Without patrons of the arts, you would not now have much art to enjoy. Civilization is based on material conquests, but a civilization without a culture of the arts would not be much of a civilization. 
The church was the first great patron of the arts in Europe. Then rich families themselves financed artists. So we just want to let you know how things have changed. And now for the price of a coffee or alcoholic beverage once a month, you too can be a modern day Medici. The Medicis were the family who sponsored the Italian Renaissance in Florence. So if you like this podcast and would like to support it, then what's five euros a month to someone in a stable job? Okay, thanks, guys. That's all from me now. I'll hand you back to Mr. Negotium. Thank you, Mr. Herodotus, said Mr. Negotium. Then the chef, stylist, dietitian, secretary, advisor, personal trainer and best friend all came out from the wings too. All involved in the production walked into the spotlight, linking in a row with arms stretched over each other's shoulders and took a bow. Then Mr. Negotium stepped forward and said, We don't have a container like a hat on the ground as a physical street performer might, but we do, however, have a digital hat over on Patreon where any donations would be greatly appreciated. Just search Aurelotium Podcast. If we have provided you with any enjoyment or imparted to you an interest in the joy that is reading or simply added to the enjoyment that you already have for that activity, then any show of support would be greatly appreciated. Yours truly, all this fictional author's lived experience up until this moment. The beginning. <laughs>